This is the Rejoicing in the Word podcast, coming to you from the capital region of the Susquehanna Valley. My name is Josh, and with me to hear today is Pastor Brandon Starnes. We want to welcome you to our 10th official episode. This is a special episode, and uh, it's a big milestone for us. Number 10. It's not a very big in the sense of when you think about hundreds and thousands, but for us, it is in fact something that we're taking a moment to consider and to think of as we commemorate this 10th official one, not, not accounting, of course, the pilot episode. And of course, it marks us being more than one halfway through this first season. Yeah, that's a big deal for us. Pretty soon here, I'm going to have to use my toes, I guess, to keep count. We got to number 10. I ran out of fingers. <laughs> so. Got those 10 toes there. But we want to thank you for sticking with us here till our 10th episode, and we really do appreciate that. And we do appreciate the feedback we've been getting. Uh, sometimes it's through text message, other times it's through personal conversation or perhaps through email. And we just appreciate your uh, your listening to us here. Reaching out to us. Yeah. And we also want to take a moment to thank the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Church, allowing us to engage in this endeavor. And, of course, the feedback of each of the members there as they've also reached out to us and let us know uh, what they think and how much they appreciated this. And, and we always are very grateful and thankful for their help and support as well. We have a few things we want to continue just to remind you of. Uh, the RW blog is at www.svbcpa.org. That's Rejoicing in the Word blog. Yes, yeah. Rejoicing in the Word blog. Also, check out our new Rejoicing in the Word Facebook page. You can find that at www.facebook.com forward slash RW, like Rejoicing in the Word, R.W. Min, M-I-N, R.W. Ministries. And you'll be able to message us there as well, if uh, just another means to connect with us with. You know, I was talking to someone here, and they said, hey, we listen to your podcast. Uh, we find it on Facebook. So another place where people are finding our podcast. And uh, I'm not sure where exactly your favorite place is to listen, but we're glad you're listening. And having the Facebook gives you another opportunity to share. You can share, you know, across your account if you have one. And you can share that with us. You can uh, have a site to recommend others to go look out as well. There'll be a number of updates to that coming uh, into the 2023 season. Uh, of course, in addition to the blog and memes and just quotes and things like that to help you keep rejoicing in the Word. And here as we're coming up here, 10 episodes, and we're looking as the season is fast approaching its end, uh, we're probably looking at about the last week, first week in December uh, closing out this season. And then we're going to have a couple year-end specials, so we want to keep you informed about them. Make sure you're watching for them as they'll be coming out. Uh, we're gonna, we have a year-end special, actually two year-end specials coming out, and an interview, and we're excited about all those. Uh, we also just want to let you know, stick around and stay tuned for season number two as it'll be airing here in the spring of 2023. So we're excited about that coming up. And just to tie you over there, till the next year we have those specials. So we'll just keep putting them out, kind of tie us over into the next Yeah, it's season. an exciting thing, something to look forward to as well. And then, of course, sometime in the offseason we'll be meeting together and uh, putting down kind of the format and the formula for next year. We've got a number of things that we're praying about and hoping the Lord allow us to do for Season 2. And also one thing I just wanted to mention here to everybody this is our first special episode that we've actually put out. 
Um, a lot of our episodes, as you know, we're going through the Book of Romans. We may touch on Romans today a little bit, but whenever we come up on a special event, a special day, perhaps a holiday season, uh, we want to sometimes take a special episode and touch on that. And so today's special is going to be about Election Day. It's coming up fast. It is. I, I'm not sure who everybody's voting for. Of course, by the time this airs, you know, you'll be about one day, you'll have about 12 hours to make up your mind which way you're going to vote uh, here, regardless of your state, if your state actually is having an election. Uh, but there's so much in the scriptures by which we find commands to rejoice, to rejoice evermore, rejoice, pray without ceasing, things along that line. Yet when you get to the idea of elections, that's not usually, unless maybe you're on the winning side as you would deem it, that's not an area that you find many people being willing to rejoice in. And when you think of all that goes into an election and who to vote for, no doubt you're getting inundated with flyers and mailers and emails and text messages. And you might wonder, well, who do I vote for? I think as Christians, we, of course, have to be voting for candidates that we believe that will continue to be somewhat stalwart in biblical issues like uh, life, uh, things of biblical morality, liberty, not simply candidates that you know promise free stuff. Be not deceived. There is nothing free in our country in particular. We might be the land of the free, but everything costs someone something. You know what they say, nothing is ever really free. Yes, you know, I think, I think when you look at uh, scriptures and you consider rejoicing and you consider the government and things of that nature, I think at least it could be said of here in America that oftentimes it could be seen as part of a patriotic duty to complain. And this, in fact, is not a natural, or I should say, unnatural feeling. It goes back as far back as dirt does about complaining about our governmental officials. And some of those are genuine. Some of those may not be. Well, it's, an, it's a natural response, but we find out that it's not a supernatural response. Yes, yes, that would be well said. In Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, you have here a lengthy, really it's a message, if you could look at it in that sense, that Samuel the prophet uh, delivers to the nation of Israel. They want a king. It is not what God wants for them, but rather it's something they have chosen. So Samuel is invariably in betwixt the two, the will of the people and the will of God. And uh, when wondering what he might do, of course, there's the great uh, illustration here that he prays into the God of heaven. And I want to read a few verses here and just just to show you a little bit about what needs to be seen even under a good king and certainly will be seen under a bad king. Samuel, we read this again, 1 Samuel chapter 8, And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people. Those are exciting words to consider. I'm going to get what I want. He continues, In all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should reign over them. He continues in verse number nine, and now therefore hearken unto their voice, how be it? Yet protest solemnly unto them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. This is kind of one of those things where uh, God is speaking, I'm going to let them have what they wanted, and I want you to tell them solemnly, serious, sober-mindedly what it really is going to cost them and what a king. And this is not just one king, but what any king that should reign after them will really do. And this this at the very end is going to culminate in verse number 18. They'll cry out to thee. 
the response and activities of this king is going to equal, even a good king, is going to equal some. He's going to bring complaints into their life. And as you can see there in the text, we really, you could divide these things up a little bit into three things. He says, I want you to hearken to the voice of the people, protest, but show them the manner of the kings. And there's a lot of things packaged in this particular passage about, really, the actions that are going to bring frustration and, no doubt, complaint to the hearts of people because of these actions of the king. There's a number of them. I think, for instance, right off the bat, and we didn't read down this far, but he said he's going to take your sons. Right. Take you to war. He's, he's going to prepare all these chariots and horsemen, and the first complaint, man, there's going to be limited peace. It's interesting to look back in the, in the history of Israel that prior to this time, they had known war, but God had went for them. Right. That's true. And the times that they had engaged outside of the time of maybe Joshua, that they had engaged in war, it was a direct result of sin. They were in captivity, and God brought a deliverer, a judge, to, to deliver them. That was the beginning of Samuel's ministry, too. So these wars were not wars of, uh, of gain, if you will, of acquisition, but they're more like wars of liberty that they're experiencing prior to this in, in a general sense. But this is not seeming to be the case. There's going to be a standing army. Who's going to take your sons? Uh, later, you're going to find it's going to take your daughters, but there's going to be a limited peace that exists. You're going to have to be constantly and um, persistently prepared for the inevitable conflicts that will come your way. So he, he's going to be prepared for this type of war. It's a limited peace. Another thing that you'll note is in verses 13 and 16, in addition to taking your sons a limited peace, he, he's going to take your sons and your daughters, and he mentions they're going to be confectionaries and cooks and bakers. And when you think of that, that's a little bit of limited purpose. Taking their service. Yeah, he's going to exprod, expand rather, expand upon uh, governmental provision. And, and boy, you're going to have to fill in those blanks. Uh, I'm not suggesting that all of these people are going to hate the task that they might have of their own vocation have entered into. But limited purpose, you, you're going to lose choice. Right. It's Samuel through God giving them a heads up. Yeah. Hey, this is how this is going to work. A third area, he said he's going to take a tenth of your seed. He'll take your fields, your vineyards, your olives, the best of them, and give to his servants. And I, I would note over there, uh, in, in one sense, be prepared for limited possessions. There's going to be a tax. They had free will offerings that they gave, but this is different. This is, this is going to be a national tax that's going to be placed on them. And, and we won't go this far, but when you, when you think down to continue reading about what kings of Israel, whether it be the north or the south, did, you've got kings that literally unlawfully take vineyards. Right. And allocate them as theirs. Man, that's like eminent domain in one sense. But Navis Vineyard. Yeah, they're going to gather in upon this. And really, if you just wanted one word to look at, take, 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 take. Well, you remember you talked about free will offerings. You remember whenever they were getting the tabernacle ready? They actually told the people to stop giving. Stop giving. I promise you, no king's ever going to say, that's enough, our coffers are full, no more taxes. Uh, it's a difficult thing. And, and this is something that you see, we're, we're all these many years this side of it, but it wouldn't matter whether you're in Europe or Asia or even in the U.S. These are natively something that governments do. You see this in every time. And the conclusion there in verse number 18, and ye shall cry out in the day because of your king. Hmm. Then he even goes on to say, which ye have chosen you. In direct reference there, I think, to, Sam, uh, to Saul, rather. But the fact remains, there's, there's going to be many times uh, that uh, a, a, an appointed leader is going to frustrate the people. Inevitably, they're making decisions. And they may be making the best decision that they can, but you can be guaranteed that it's going to ruffle 
uh, some citizens' uh, feathers, as it were. Uh, that's the matter of kings. By extension, governments, um, they're going to make decisions, and I hate to use this word, but it sometimes mandates, and society has the responsibility to, to, to comply to those lawful ones if they can't have any other redress of grievances, and, and that's frustrating. And whether you talk at the federal, state, local, or even the district level, you might look at the federal government having the broadest sense of power, but that localized government really affects your everyday life. And, you know, a lot of those complaints, a lot of that crying out can even be just and genuine. Yes. But it's just a fact of what's going to happen. It's a fact of having sinful people govern sinful people. Power really exposes the character of individuals. And, you know, you can see this um, in everyday life. you, You might remember your first job and they had a line leader at the restaurant who was a teenager, and they just thought that they were the the king of the world. You know, they had this little bit of power, but it manifests true character. When, you, when you're talking about instilling someone with power over the combined resources of a district or a county or a state or, yea, even a government, there's so much packaged into that that even for an upright, moral, straight-shooting individual is a hard thing not to succumb to that power. That's why we... We are so thankful for the diversification of power. And that's why the scriptures say when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Yeah. Uh, you know, rejoicing or otherwise here in this particular passage of crying out, uh, we here in this country, the United States, have been privileged. I can't really think of any other nation that really had it this way, that from our very inception as a country, since our founding, we're able to claim that we have a process and that a citizen that a citizen could have the opportunity to participate in the process of choosing their leaders. And it's choosing individual leaders, too. We're not just... Some places, you know, you vote for a, a party, mm-hmm. but we actually get to vote for individuals. Yes, and, and be that whether it's king or governor, senator, uh, none of them are the same as the God of heaven. Uh, whoever that governor, king, whatever might be, whatever position they, of esteem they might hold... They're not the same thing as the God of heaven. They're not always just. They're not always honest. Sadly, they're not always fulfiller of promises. We're right, I mean, right in the thick of it here in Pennsylvania with with uh, polls and uh, letters being written and advertised base, every, it, everywhere you look. And I love to pull out these, you know, it's particularly senatorial ones, and they've got all the things they're definitely doing when they get to Washington. And I'm waiting for the time where somebody cues them in to realize that they are one of 100. Yeah. They're not in an executive branch. And it tickles me that you're making promises that you have no ability to control. You cannot control it. You might be a voice in it. They're not always fulfillers of promises. They're going to make sometimes decisions that a moment ago, which at some level are going to upset someone. Sometimes the individuals, sometimes individuals that we voted for don't win. And we're faced with having to deal with an individual that is opposed to the legislation, or if you will, the decrees that we want. And therefore, what comes from them, the legislation that they've signed into laws, is quite disappointed to us. Uh, I I think in in a real sense, you could look overarchingly. If you want to see this in a real live way, you, you look at how governments handled covid as an overall rule, it was very poorly handled. 
uh, by by either side here in the U.S. In, in in the way we looked at it, and that's a sad thing to consider. How do you keep rejoicing when there seems to be apparent misuse, when there seems to be abuse? What do you do? What do you do when someone is running for office, promising to do something that you know stands in stark contradiction to the Word of God? Yeah, or even whenever the person that you did want in office gets in office, and then either they can't do what they say they were going to do, or they just don't end up. I mean, you're you're looking at catastrophic shifts of what the government could be or what it would be, and that can bring a level of insecurity and fear to you. So the answer is, what do you do? Right. I think historically, as you would look at all the nations of the world, there's a series of things you can do. And I'm talking about things you could do, not things you should do. But, you know, if you wanted to, you could move. You could say, hey, I'm a pack-up. I'm... Someone always says they're going Yes. The, the elitists always talk about that. Oh, if so-and-so wins, I'm going to move to X, Y, and Z. And I would know they're still here. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I mean, as an American citizen, we're blessed to live in the country, to, a country with, with great freedom and great opportunity. I'm sure that you could move to some faraway island that no one inhabited, and then you have unabashed freedom and let you do whatever you want to. But you don't have opportunity. Right. Coupling those two together, I, I can't think of anywhere else to be. So that doesn't seem to be like a realistic stuff. Another one you could do is, you, you know, riot. you could riot. You could riot. You, you don't like who the president is? Riot in the summer. Like who the president is, riot in the winter, just riot, just tear stuff up, see that people are harmed, people are broke, uh, things, uh, people are injured, people are broken, just riot. Well, I don't think that's in keeping with the word of God. You go to war. Yeah, you know, sadly, you hear that a lot today. It's just so, you know, as an amateur historian to hear somebody say, well, we need to go to war. I, I think it's probably the last thing that you should ever allow to come to your mind. Um, you know, I, I think about the... We're talking Civil War. Yeah, exactly. You're talking about Civil War. You think about the Civil War of the 1860s. The longstanding historical thought was like 620,000 men died in battle. It's not, that's not the associated damage. That's not the wounded. That's not the folks that lost stuff uh, that uh, was related to the war, but they weren't military. You're talking about 620,000 soldiers dying. Uh, recently, there was a historian out of Minnesota. He did a study on this, and he said that he began to analyze the census records from 1850 and 1860 and compare them with 1870. So you got before and after. And he's noted with other things that he, he thinks the, the, the cost of human life and form of the life of soldiers was closer to three-quarters of a million, of a million 750,000. When you think of a population of 31 million, that's a loss of, what's my math, like 2.5. I mean, that's a significant loss. If, if you were to extrapolate that out to 330 million today and have that type of loss, you're, you're talking about basically the loss of the population of a state of like 8 million or something. I can't think that, I can't think that that wouldn't do anything but deepen any divide and bring great bitterness and loss. That cannot be the consideration that well-thinking people do. So back to the question. What do we do? And those aren't the options. No, and those aren't the options. And then I'm reminded of kind of Philippians chapter 4, you know, rejoice in the Lord. That seems always to be the option. How do I rejoice in the Lord when things aren't going the way in which I'd hope they'd go? We'll visit that in just a moment about rejoicing in the Lord. I think other things that we continue to do, 
despite things not going the way we wished, so that our joy is maintained, we continue to engage in the gospel of Christ, continue to communicate, dialogue with others, and obviously, as Jeremiah said, seek the peace of the city. Seek the peace of the city. That's an important thing. Note a few things about rejoicing in the Lord in Philippians, because if the joy of the Lord, as we have studied, is in fact a mark of our salvation, it is the gift of God that indwells us to us that have obeyed the scriptures, it doesn't have to go away. Right. It's not happenstance. And that is an easy thing to remember. Well, if you think about Paul rejoicing, that's what we've been talking about for 10 episodes here. He, Where did he live? He didn't have great political I mean, leaders. he's under some of the worst leaders at the worst times and sometimes in the worst health, but he's rejoicing. In prison, folks abusing him, lying about him, yet he's rejoicing. And so if that's any example for us, and it is, if it's an example for us, then it's an example for us to be faithful and rejoicing. It means That means what I'm saying is, if the leaders get elected that are the most unbiblical leaders, my joy can still be steadfast. Because it's founded in the Lord. Yes. And a couple of our reasons here we want to look at. The first one is that we need to remember where your first loyalty is, and that comes out of Philippians 3.20, because we find, for our conversation is in heaven. That word conversation, interesting word there, isn't it? Politics. That's exactly what it is. It comes from that root of our English word, politics. It is your conversation. It's your citizenship. Right. You know, you are first a Christian. As Abraham of old, we are looking for a city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is none other than Jesus Christ. That's what we're pursuing. That is the preeminent cause. Uh, My... My conversation, my identity should be exclusively wrapped in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I am a citizen of a fair city. And you know, that's interesting. I was looking, uh, one of the things we could look at our statistics for the podcast, and I see that United States is not just the only place that listens to our podcast. Sure. And so this is going to hold true no matter where you are, whether you're over in Europe, whether you're in the United Kingdom or down under, wherever that would be. If you're a Christian, if you trust in Christ by faith, your conversation is in heaven. You know, uh, just as you talk and I, you think about other nations, are you thankful as a child of God that first and foremost you're a citizen of heaven? Absolutely. Um, you, you think of historically of the wars, national, international wars that have been fought. And to think that one day when we get to heaven, we're going to find individuals that aren't Americans that have the same right and access to freedom. And I'm talking about in heaven that you and I do. Well, think about even Daniel. Daniel went through how many different, Daniel in the Bible, yeah. went through how many different kingdoms, kings. Uh, I mean, you think about the government changes he was in, but one thing remained the same. How, how do you go from being Babylonian to Persian? Where's his loyalty at? Well, he, he began as a Jew. That's right. It always was found in the Lord God of heaven. And that, that's a key to you and I, you know, recognizing or uh, remaining in the joy that God has given us despite perhaps unfavorable circumstances or even favorable circumstances politically. What's the second thought we get out of Philippians chapter 3 there? Your conversation, your first loyalty, if you will. Let's remember our conclusion. Yeah. Philippians 3.21, Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body? 
according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So this isn't the end. No, it's just the beginning, really. I'm going to spend eternity. What is it? What is it? The the amazing grace, I think it is, when 10,000 years have passed? Uh, Forevermore. The conclusion isn't that this life is the finality of it all. There is going to be the eternity wherewith ages will roll on. And that, that gives me a source of joy to look forth to an uninterrupted presence that I'll have with all, Almighty God. That's where my citizenship first is. That's where my loyalty is first. And that's going to be the conclusion of my life. It's going to surround me, and, and uh, I'm going to be with him forever with the Lord. Another thing, another thought that comes to this is rejoicing in, let's just read verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse sure. 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I think about how many times we look around at people, whether it's in politics, people always want change. And... Yet we can rejoice in the fact that we don't need to find change. Uh, whenever it comes to the Bible, the Word of God, he says, My dearly beloved, stand fast in the Lord. I'm grateful that we don't have to be finding the next thing to change to. And the emphasis there, that prepositional phrase, in the Lord, stand fast, be preserved. I can, I can be, and that's throughout the scriptures, I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, be steadfast, unmovable. Always abounding in the work. Yes, I'm to stand fast. I, listen, I don't need to change. As a child of God, I don't need to be changing for the newest wind of doctrine or the newest sociological information or societal norm or the newest culture. I can have a firm adherence to biblical truth. These societal norms change and shift. All the time. What culture thinks is acceptable and unacceptable change and shift. They always move. But biblical truth calls us to stand fast. First Corinthians, quit yourself like men and be strong and remain unabounding, uh, un- always abounding on the biblical truth that God has given us. Just steadfast, and you remain steadfast in him, in his power, and in his might. Let's take another thought out of Philippians. Strive for unity. Chapter 4 and verse 2. Yeah, primarily now within an assembly is what, right. you're, what you're looking at. Because yes. Go ahead and read your verse, yeah. I beseech Iodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And we're, of course, Paul's writing to the Philippian church there. Yeah, these weren't just two political leaders. No. These are Brothers goodly and, and godly people within the assembly. He said, I'm begging you. Iodius and Syntyche be of the same mind. Why? You think of all the pressures outside, and politics of the day could be one of these, and they're bringing that strife upon you. Into the assembly. Yes. That's the context here. Don't be so disagreeable with each other. I think it's always a good thing to don't be the, the, that uh, we should not be the person that has to be so disagreeable with every other believer within the church that we can't get along with them. Have the same mind. Inherently, the same mind is the mind of Christ. That's Philippians chapter 2. every believer has access to that. Yes. And so your mindset needs to approach and prioritize the things that God prioritizes. Uh, I I think the the church, and it's just such a joy, I I think particularly uh, of our midweek services, prayer time, things of this nature, and what a joy it is to be around other believers. 
I, I'm not naive to think that, you know, when you come to church, that everybody has had the greatest week. Yeah. Or that on our prayer service, every day, everything that is accomplished that day has just been fantastic. People have difficulties at work. People have difficulties at home. Now, I don't need to strive together. I need the mind of Christ. My interaction with other believers ought to be as Christ-like as it can possibly be so that I and they maintain my walk with God and rejoicing continually in Him. Let's look at another one here. Behave yourself. <laughs> Out of verse 5, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Moderation. A little bit of spirit control there. Um, you know, it's an easy thing. We start wandering away from the presence of God. Um, we start to lose some of those aspects of the fruit of spirit. Not just joy. A little bit of gentleness. A little bit of long-sufferingness. Patience with each other. Yes. You think of how important gentleness and patience, by extension, long-suffering is for believers. I mean, throughout this, I think of Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy is it chapter 2 and verse 24, he talks about striving not with men, but having all patience. And he talks about the opportunity for God to give them repentance, etc. That is an important mark to remember in my interaction that I have with other believers. It's one thing that sets you and I aside is that great work of the Holy Ghost within us. And it's allowed the peace of God to reign. Well, listen, little bit we need to put off that old man and be washed in the renewing of our mind let your moderation be known unto all men well, i think at first john it talks about one of the marks of a believer is that they love the brethren they love mm-hmm. one another and that's what the command titus has to be a lover of good men let's look at another one here cast your cares on christ be careful for nothing we find here in verse six be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known unto god if prayer means anything for a believer, if, if prayer within the realm of God's will and faith means anything, then it ought to at least mean that we're not anxious about everything in life. That we, if we can pray and ask God's direction on something and expect him to provide it, if we can pray and ask for wisdom and expect that he'll give it to us and upbraid us or not, if we can pray uh, the model prayer that was given over in, in uh, the Gospels, then surely we can cast all of our care upon him. It's, it's so interesting that, you know, sometimes folks who get more carried away with political rallies and events, hoping that's to change, but the church house on, on uh, prayer meeting services is, is empty. And you wonder why folks are anxious and unnerved by things. Now, I realize there might be legitimate reasons that take people. I'm using this as an example. But the call in our life to be faithful in our prayers, uh, to follow the Lord's leading in our life, just just to have everything in correct uh, perspective, that's a direct result yeah. to casting all of our cares upon him. And that takes us to our next one here. Let God's peace, not your emotions and thoughts, rule. And uh, for that, we come out of verse number 7 and 8. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Yeah, so what's going to rule in your heart mind? It will either be the emotions of life, the cares and concerns that have so gripped us, or it will be God's peace. It seems to be a choice 
that a believer intrinsically makes. Uh, in verse number eight, he's going to talk about all these things to think on. There's so much it's fault in our mind. You know, you can convince yourself of anything. Yeah. If you want to worry about it and fret and struggle about it, or you can cast that care on the Lord. Follow his leading in, the, in, in your life. Be obedient to the explicit commands of Scripture and receive and obey the peace of God. I, 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 I struggle sometimes. I think, think our emotions dictate so much of what we do rather than just peacefully, patiently following the God that has loved us and given himself for us. Yeah, letting him rule in our lives. It's letting him rule, yes. And then we find in verse 9, continue, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. You know, emphasize that one word. Do. Do. Just do. Do what you know you need to be doing. There are so many things I can't control, really. But you can do what you're supposed to do. If I can do it, that means I can control it. I can be faithful. I can be engaged in prayer. I can be a witness to those that are without. I can be an encourager of the brethren. I can be rejoicing. I can be singing. You know, I think of Paul. He could not control whether he went to prison. But he could control what he did in prison. He sang. He sang. That was something he could control. I don't know if it's okay or not, but he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. The acoustics were probably pretty good. I think that's probably really Silas saying that high tenor there. And that's, that's, no. I, I mean, that's that. there's nothing he could do about it. There's some things in this world that are just beyond me. And I, I don't know what God's detailed plan is for everything and how all is going to work out. But what I do know is there are these clear-cut principles and words that he has commanded and, and I can just I can just rest in them. I can do them. Um, you know, we think of this list of things you've given as he said me things. There's nothing on here that I can't do. That's true. Nothing. I, I maybe can't get my candidate to win. But you can rejoice. I maybe can't help my candidate accomplish everything they want to can accomplish. Right. But I can rejoice. And that seems to be a significant thing in the life of each believer, whether it be election day or a month after election day. And with that, I love our verse for today here. It's quite simple. First Thessalonians 5.16 says this. Don't miss it here. Rejoice evermore. And with that, we want to challenge you to continue rejoicing in the word. And we want to thank you once again for listening. Goodbye for now.